This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the preview show brought to you by the Known and Never podcast and with championship fixtures coming in thick and fast, we have once again amalgamated our analysis show and our preview show in readiness for the Claret midweek fixture. I'm your host Natalie Bromley and joining me this week in association with TalkSport fan panel is my colleague Tom Whitaker. Tom, you're going to have to be analysis show team and preview show team this evening. Uh, it doesn't feel like a chore when you've just uh, had a win out there. <laughs> it definitely does. Well, just hold that thought before we go on to have a look back at that, um, quite frankly, bizarrely wonderful, crappy, exhilarating, brilliant game away at Sunderland. I'm going to give you a quiz question because then we can get straight into it. So, last time we gave you a podcast, we asked you the following question, which was, who was the last Burnley player to score a goal for the Clarets at Roker Park and who was the first Burnley player to score for the club at the Stadium of Lights. Of course, we're talking about the season in uh, whenever it was, um, where they... Uh, sorry, where... Who was that? I'm just trying to think who... Okay, I went... Listen, when I did this last week, I was very much of the opinion that this was a season apart, but apparently it's not. I'm just looking at the answer now. The answer was Steve Kinden in 1979 was the last player to score a goal at Roker Park. And Ian Moore was the first player to score at the Stadium Light in 2007. Sunderland made the switch in 1997. And of course, the Clarets had a long spell without playing at Sunderland. So forgive me, listeners. I was very much of the impression that those... Um, Games, those seasons straddled each other. Uh, Tom, did you know this? No, I didn't have a clue on either, to be honest. Yeah, no, I didn't either, and I wasn't entirely sure. I couldn't even give a guess. Well, I'll tell you who did know this, and that is, of course, quiz star and VIP of the previous show, and that is, of course, our very own John Robertson. Um, I don't remember seeing any other correct answers. Um, so, listeners, if I have missed you, please forgive me. I will do another troll through. We've got very thick and fast. The game's coming thick and fast. We've got a quick turnaround when it comes to podcasts. So I may have missed one. And if I do, I will fish it out and I'll give you a delayed shout out. But I think at the moment it's just John Robertson. Um, so let's get down to business. You were at the stadium. Um, stadium of Light? Yes. 
Um, you were at the stadium of like yesterday, Tom, and in all of the football cliches that we have, a game of two halves could probably have not been more relevant for yesterday. Yeah, it was um, said elsewhere, probably the, the worst half we've had all season, followed by the best half we've had all season, I think. And it was uh, it was quite remarkable, really. Um, the first half, um, we just didn't really get into the game. We didn't cause many problems. It was too the sort of the worst elements of what we've seen this season. When it's when it's bad, it's bad. You know, it's slow. There wasn't enough movement. The, the we didn't get round, and we didn't get to the side of them. Um, and defensively, we just got pulled apart too easily. You know, twice they've got overloads on on the flanks, and uh, they'd obviously done the homework a bit. There's obviously we've spoken before about the way that um, Roberts plays a sort of half right back, half centre half at times, and um, and obviously Taylor's a, a left back slotting in at centre half still. And um, they took advantage of a bit of positional confusion. They got the goals. Um, maybe Murich, you could say, could have done better for either. Yeah, of them. I did think that a little bit. The first one particularly. So he got sold a little bit too easy for the first one. The second one, it comes blowing on through a crowd. But yeah, yeah. maybe Pope would have saved one of them. But yeah, stop thinking like that really, don't we? So yeah, and then just for the, the last 20 minutes of the first half, we had a lot of the ball and they were just, you know, we, we didn't get anywhere near the goal. Um, didn't didn't wait the keeper at all. And we're thinking we had a bit of a nightmare journey coming off. It was a nightmare trying to get in the ground because all the turnstiles weren't open. So at half time, you're just thinking, God, we put all this effort in for this. Um, and then... He took Barnes off and, and everything changed in the second half. It was it was a funny one, actually. Um, you know, I don't think anyone apart from Vincent Company thought Barnes should have started that game. Why he did is, is beyond me. Everyone in the stands is just like, what is he doing on the pitch? And yeah. so he's mobile, you know. Everyone who, who watched him knows that his, you know, his best, his legs are gone, you know, it's two years since he was at his best. Um, so they took him off. But I think the, the majority opinion was that there was a few tweaks needed. Um, uh, we were saying, Maybe uh, McNally on and put Vitinho at right back, Taylor at left back. Yes. Of them playing in their positions. Um, obviously, Cork and Rodriguez were on the bench, and the cry was for Cork to come back on, uh, get Rodriguez on. Um, and the only tweet that he actually made was was to take um, Barnes off, and he didn't bring another striker on. Um, it was another winger. Yeah, uh, I saw that. So we're thinking, right, he's changed, he's changed it, but. But he's not changed it enough to turn this around. And yeah, incredibly, you know, like I say, we were just fantastic in that second half. Um, we got the goals at good times, took advantage of the fact, I was reading in all the build-up that some of them had a short side. Um, so we got the goal from set piece, which was obviously something that, uh, you know, a way to hurt them. And then, uh, yeah, the, the two wingers, uh, especially, uh, deserve a lot of praise for the second half. Um, obviously, they both scored um, from outside the box with Benson and... Um, and uh, Zorori were, were, were fantastic. Uh, Zorori's goal in particular just incredible. Um, he's turning into the... like He's catching everybody's eye at the moment. I think it's fair to say the first couple of games that he played for us, he, is it fair to say he was kind of invisible? We didn't really see much from him. A couple of times he was unlucky. He was being marked out of the game by some um, pretty skillful defenders. But he never really... It was just kind of there. And then all of a sudden, he has exploded onto the scene. And... People are going to be looking at him. He's going to be a real future star. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. And it's the same with Benson as well. I think I don't think he's made quite the spectacular yeah. impact that Ferrari did, but he, he took a while to get into it. But uh, I think the the fullbacks of Sunderland, they, they didn't really get tested at all in the first half, but the second, they were just, they, you know, uh, I thought Benson especially had the beating of his man. He had him on toast. The, the amount of times he'd just flick it around him and run around the other side, get the ball. He was first to everything. 
uh, really tormented their left back. And then obviously on the other side, Zorori, um saw him five minutes before the, the goal he scored. He sort of cut inside, did something similar, just past the post and obviously tried it again. Um, and the result was incredible. Just a fantastic goal. It's, you know, uh, remember Corne doing it once or twice, but it, in all the, the Sean Dyche years, we've not had many wingers who can can come inside and just curl it in the top corner from 20 yards like that. So it was that was really special to see. And yeah. obviously the fact that it was... It created such a big turnaround. <clears throat> you know, we've we brought in a lot. You know, the last few years we've been saying we haven't got enough on the wings. We've been too reliant on McNeil, and then uh, and this season we seem to bring in like a thousand wingers, but they're all starting to play their part now. Sublime to the ridiculous, isn't it? Our squad. We we went an entire decade with no wide men whatsoever, and just died not playing any wingers, and the whole world being on McNeil's shoulders. And now we have like forty five. That's all we play. We just play with ten wingers and see what happens. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, the front four. You know, I say when Barnes come off, it was yeah. Pella, Rodrigo, Goodmanson, and and and, um, and Benson. So it's four wingers really that that were the yeah. front four. Uh, but it, it obviously really really worked. That you know the, the pace, the skill, they couldn't handle it, and yeah, brilliant. And then just I think it really helps as well having another thing that we've not we've not really had in in recent years is a bit the sort of quality to come off the bench. So when we got three two up, you're thinking, oh, yeah. you know, it matters now. And we know what we're like with holding leads, but he brought Cork on and it just settled the midfield down, brought Rodriguez on and his, his hold-up play already came in handy as well. He was keeping the ball in the corner really well, buying, throwing, three kicks, things like that. And uh, and then obviously just mentioned in that fourth goal, just the icing on the cake. Yeah, the, the, the changing formation and changing tactics is something that's fascinating me this season. I had this very conversation with, with Mr. Brommel this afternoon um, and we were crying out for changes of personnel under the Daesh regime. And the amount of times we sat on this podcast and talked about how we had no plan B. It was always just fresh legs with the same strategy so that the formation couldn't change. We never had anything that we could change tactically. It was just, well, maybe bring some John in mind, have a slightly better game. And I think we just got so conditioned to working with a small squad and not having those options that we'd genuinely forgotten just how important it is to be able to change games around. Like yesterday was just an unbelievably amazing example of that, that you can realise, 2 nil down, you realise that you're in a bad, bad shape and suddenly turn it around to that extent. Um, is really pleasing for me as well. And we've got a manager as well who's not afraid to make difficult chances. I think in terms of Burnley's promotion push, Tom, and the significance of where we sit in this league, a lot of people are telling us that we are the best side in the league. We're not yet top. We should be, really, but we're not. We're still sitting in third, although there's one point in it. How significant do you think, or are you putting any significance on, that turnaround yesterday in terms of the promotion push? Or are we still way too early to be worrying about that? No, I think you're right. I think it was very significant. Uh, probably two reasons that I pick out massively as being really significant. The first was just in in real terms, you know, if we'd have lost um, QPR and Blackburn both winning, we'd have been four points off the automatic promotion places. So that's a gap that it's going to exactly. take you straight away. Uh, you've still got the chasing pack at your heels, whereas now we're, I think, the three points above Sheffield United and maybe four above Norwich. So we're keeping some of the, the contenders at bay. So just in terms of the points, it was significant. But I think um, one of the, well, the, probably the big problem we've had this season is, is finding ways to win games that are, are tight. You know, we, we struggle to, to hold on to a lead. <clears throat> and one, problem that we've not really faced this season is, is going behind. I think that was only the second game this season that we've actually gone behind in after the Watford one. 
and obviously Watford, we didn't yeah. come back and get anything. Um, so it was a, a test that we've not really had before. It was, you know, we've been below par, we've been second best, we're 2-0 down. Do we have what it takes in this squad? You know, and it's obviously, like I said, we've got good options off the bench and things like that. But as much as anything else, it's mentality. You know, it's like, what does the manager do in this situation? Is Because there was a, a lot of kind of talk around me at half time that, you know, he's, he's rested Cork and Rodriguez and obviously they're, they're getting on now and they probably can't play Saturday, 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 Tuesday for six yeah. weeks or whatever. But then there's people saying, uh, they're just saying we're not bothered about this game, let's just focus on Norwich because they're a top six contender. Well, you know, you've got an emphatic answer to that question in the second half. He wanted those points. He obviously, whatever he said to my half-time, because like I say, was, I mean, it was a, a significant personnel change to take Barnes off because it's like playing with 10 men having Barnes on there, but as, as much as it was a significant change, it was only one player that changed, and and yet the the, the performances were just night and day. So there's something in the mentality there that says, you know, these this team knows that they need to be beating these teams if they want to get automatic promotion. It was a game that that even though we'd not been in it, they still obviously had the belief that it was there to be won. Yeah, and, and they did it emphatically. So yeah, I think I think it was it, it it really did put a message out there to the rest of the league that. Maybe we're not as soft and easy to get at as uh, as we have maybe suggested in, in the first couple of months of the season. Yeah, and, and I'm not entirely sure that given that result, the claret side of the first maybe five or six games of the season, when we were still finding our feet a little bit, we were still playing a bit of a guessing game as to what the starting lineup would be. It still, I, I don't, I'm not necessarily sure that this side will have grown in confidence, gels together, and had the maturity yet to pull back the results so it's pleasing to see and that's only going to get better as the season develops and these players play together more um is it possible to pick a, a man of the match from what you saw yeah there was a few contenders for sure um i think probably between zorori and, and benson they were, the, they were the top two um I'll probably just give it to benson myself just because i think it was it was that change at half time that really sparked yeah. it but um, Zorori would have a, a good claim to that as well. They were they were both fantastic, and in the second half, they didn't give us some of the defensive moments. Piece. Right. Well, let's move on because um, as we keep saying all these things, the the championship is a very quick league, and we are already moving on to the next game, and that is our rearranged Tuesday night fixture at home to Norwich City. This is the one that got postponed from the Friday night when um, Her Majesty the Queen passed away. So it is a 8pm kickoff. It's actually now on Sky TV as well. For those of you who are subscribers, you can watch this if you're not going to be at Turf Moor. Um, we are going to welcome back to the preview show, as ever, our resident statistician, Dave Statman-Roberts. And he's going to talk us through the championship head-to-head. 2022-23 is only the 20th season that Burnley and Norwich City have been in the same league together. As well as two seasons together in the top flight in the 1970s and another two in the league more recently, all of the others have been in the second tier. And it's the 15 previous second tier home games which we will look back at. Five of Norwich City's second tier visits to Turf Moor were in the 1930s and the best they could manage during that time was a 1-1 draw in April 1936. Burnley won all of the other four in this decade, with a 1-0 win in April 1935, and three victories by a 3-0 scoreline in the other three games. We then had to skip ahead to the 1970s, and in our only second-tier home game of that decade, 
Frank Casper scored the only goal from the penalty spot in a 1-0 Burnley win in January 1972. The remaining nine games in our list were all in the 21st century. In November 2000, Andy Payton's first half penalty was saved, but he found the net in the second half along with Steve Davis to seal a 2-0 home win. The following season, 2001-02, saw Norwich managing to pick up another point as goals from Mark Libra and Gareth Taylor cancelled each other out in a 1-1 draw in March 2002. Norwich City's only victory at Turf Moor in a league game, even including the four top-flight seasons, was a high-scoring game from April 2004. Burnley took the league three times during the first half and led 3-2 at the break but three second-half goals for the visitors gave them a remarkable 5-3 comeback win. There have been five further second-tier meetings between the two teams at Turf Moor since that setback, and all five have resulted in Burnley wins. In March 2006, a goal in either half, one for Andy Gray and the other from Graham Branch, gave Burnley a 2-0 win. And then in April 2007, a goal from Adiakim Bay and late goals from Andy Gray and Wade Elliott earned the Clarets a 3-0 victory. Burnley were 2-0 up inside five minutes in October 2007, through Robbie Blake and an Andy Gray penalty, in a game that Burnley eventually won 2-1. And a Chris Eagles double helped us to a 2-0 home win in November 2008. That just leaves our last home game at this level from the 2010-11 season, which we will come to very shortly in the memory match feature. So to summarise, historically, Norwich City did not have a particularly good pass record at Turf Moor, and this is reflected in the fact that Burnley have won 12, drawn 2 and lost just one of the previous second-tier games against the Canaries at Turf Moor. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And we've also got um, a selection of statistics for you of those players who have played for both Norwich and for Burnley. Uh, Tom, I don't know if you've got the graphic that we shared pre-podcast in front of you. Are there any names in that that sprung out for you as particular fan favourites? There was loads. I was going down the list and thinking, oh, I didn't know he played for Norwich. Yeah. Dean Marnie, Sam Vokes. I mean, I guess these were like loan spells or whatever that they had. Sure. Peter Crouch, I didn't know he was at Norwich. Oh, I didn't. Yeah. Um, Kyle Lafferty as well surprised me. I, I don't yeah. remember. I don't remember him going on a loan to Norwich at all. No, 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 man. No idea when he when he would have played for Norwich. No, no, me neither. Um, well, listeners, we'll share this graphic at all times. There's all sorts of players in there. Certainly from our earlier years, as as we've already mentioned, Peter Crouch, Ben Gibson, Robbie Brady, 
Patrick Bamford, Jason Shackle, some some not so popular players on this list as well, Tom. Um, and going back a little bit for some of our older listeners, we've got uh, Mickey Phelan, actually 211 appearances for the Clarets and 156 for Norwich. Um, the player who's played the most for Norwich, though, is a player called Paul McVeigh. Um, who only had eight appearances for the Clarets, but managed to amass 224 at Norwich. So, yeah, there's some real blasts from the past down there. We will share this graphic on our socials um, after the podcast, and you can have a look through that list and see um, any that you want to reminisce about. Um, But let's move straight on again, and we are now going to head back to Statman Dave again, who's going to give us um, this week's memory match and look forward to some coincidences. Coincidences? I'm not sure that's a word, Tom. Coincidences in this week's Memory Match. For our Memory Match, we're going to take you back to the last time Burnley faced Norwich City at Turf Moor in the Championship, which was in February 2011. Despite this match taking place more than a decade ago, two of the Burnley starting 11 from 2011 have also featured strongly this season, and we'd probably expect both of them to be involved this Tuesday. Jack Cork, who was in his second loan spell from Chelsea, and Jay Rodriguez were the two players in question. After three away games, this was also Eddie Howe's first match as Burnley manager in front of the Turf Moor crowd, and Paul Lambert, who'd been talked about as a potential Burnley manager, was in the Norwich City dugout. Burnley opened the scoring just after the half-hour mark, with a low right-footed shot from the edge of the box by former Norwich City player Dean Marnie. However, Grant Holt hooked a shot past Lee Grant after 65 minutes to level the scores. With just under 10 minutes remaining, Jay Rodriguez did what he does best, and ghosted in at the far post to poke home what proved to be the winning goal, from Danny Fox's free kick, to earn all three points for Eddie Howe's Clarets. Jay Rodriguez was also celebrating, as he'd recently been called up for the England Under-21 squad for a friendly in Italy on the following Tuesday. Incidentally, that match was won by Italy with an 88th-minute penalty from Federico Makeda after he'd been brought down by Manchester City youngster Ben Mee, who was also shown a red card. On the bench for England that day were Jay Rodriguez, Jack Cork and another Manchester City youngster, Kieran Trippier, and all three were introduced as substitutes during the game. Also in the England under-21 starting lineup were Nathan Delfonso, who would join Burnley on loan the following month, and Henry Lansbury, who despite being linked with the Clarets on many occasions, never got the chance to pull on the Burnley shirt, although he was on loan at Norwich City and played for them in this week's memory match. And finally, in terms of stats, Dave has given us in the studio some referee details that we can share with you. The AFL are actually trying to keep us on our toes this season by making yet another change to their original refereeing appointments. As well as being appointed for this match, before it was postponed in September, the AFL's announcement for this round of matches stated that Tony Harrington of Hartlepool would again be taking charge of the rearranged fixture. They've changed their minds again, listeners. Um, this, this is the second time as well this season that this has happened, and they've brought in another select one group official, Paul Tierney of Wigan instead. Our overall record with Paul Tierney in charge is played 19, won six, drawn five and lost eight. And as well as denying us a cast-iron penalty at Huddersfield for a blatant foul on Jeff Hendrick, 
I'm not sure any of us are over that yet. Um, all three of the dismissals in his previous matches have involved red cards being shown to Burnley players. Brian Stock in his first Burnley match from 2013, Nathan Collins and Matt Lawton more recently. Great. <laughs> Looking forward to him being in charge. Um, generally speaking then, Tom, um, it's difficult, isn't it? Because we've had the highs of Swansea followed by the back down to earth of Birmingham, then a tough first half against Sunderland, then an amazing second half against Sunderland. It's difficult to get a little bit of momentum in the Championship, but surely, even more so than Swansea, these players will be massively buoyed by that performance going into the Norwich game. Yeah, I think it's got to give them so much belief. You know, I think, uh, like I say, it's just about finding ways to win, and and the fact that they can they can only turn up for forty five minutes and still blow a team away away from home. Um, not as a Sunderlander anymore, either. I know that they're a newly promoted side, but they've not had a terrible start. So, I, you know, I, I didn't see that second half coming, and and I think, yeah, the the confidence must be absolutely flowing through them at the minute. It, it must be uh, mm. one of them, you know, where you just can't wait. After the game on Saturday, I was thinking, oh, I'm glad we've got a game Tuesday. I can't wait to do that now. So I'm sure the players are feeling the same. Yeah, it does. It definitely gets you going. Um, in terms of personnel then, uh, you mentioned this when you were discussing the Sunderland analysis. We have got Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, and we have got certain key players in the squad who may be not quite as young and sprightly as we would like them to be. Um Cork and Jay come straight back in. What do you, what do you do in terms of a starting lineup? I think so. Yeah, I think um, if, if he's got any sense coming here, I don't think we'll see Barnes again this season. Hopefully, so the obvious person to come in for him is Rodriguez. I think Cork and Rodriguez only have like fifteen twenty minutes each, so it's not to, to touch what it went with too much of a strain on him. Um, Brownhill uh, was sort of filling in for Cork in that sort of deeper line midfield, and it's not his best position. Um, he looked better when he when he moved forward when Cork came on and, and obviously uh, Cork's a really really important player he's one of them we've said it many times on, on here but he's one of those players that when he's not in the team you really notice you, you, you really notice the difference so I think uh, the theory was around us that, that Rodriguez and Cork had been rested for Sunderland because they'll be seeing Norwich as a bigger game because they're obviously a, a promotion rival yeah. um, so I'd imagine that it's a game that that he'll be he'll be wanting to to put Cork and Rodriguez back in for, and I can't see an argument not to do that. Yeah, I agree. It's difficult, isn't it, with with Barnes? I mean, you're right; he has been past his best for a while. But a lot of people argued with Barnes that he had a he had a job. You know, he could offer something, and he had a job that he could perform. The problem is, is that Vincent Kompany's Burnley is so far removed from the old regime that you can't possibly. Ex, you know, I, I would question what skills Barnes has that, that brings his current regime. And we, we hear that he's, he wants to learn. We hear that he's, he's committed and he's like a school kid again and he wants to come in and, and learn new things. And I, I wouldn't expect any less from Barnes because he's, he's an amazing personality. But he just doesn't have the technical... I'm not sure he had the technical ability five years ago to fit into um, what we want here. So I, I agree. I, I don't think we'll see Barnes again. I guess the problem with that is that whilst the elusive Scott Twine I think I saw quite a funny article in Lancashire Live this week um, our Alex James who's a, a friend of our show said I think he said something like Scott Twine must be the most talked about Burnley player of the season despite only playing 20 minutes which is hilarious um, but with his elusive injury and just no sign of any comeback or any time scales we might have to see him if we're not going to the options Um Give me a... Well, actually, how, how do you think Norwich will approach this game? I don't know much about Norwich. I haven't watched that much of them this season. I don't know whether we can expect 
an open flowing game a la Swansea or a shut up shop a la West Brom? I'm not sure what 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 we'll see here. Well, I'm I'm thinking um, the way that Norwich's season has gone. Uh, you know, they, they started off really well. I think there was a point where they put seven wins on the trot together, yeah. and they were looking like they were going to going to do the usual and, and run away with it at one point, and then the form has just fell off a cliff in the last few games. They were tuning up on Saturday and they ended up drawing to a piece with Sheffield United missed the penalty. Uh, I think they're down to seventh now as well with the after the game today. So if I think with Norwich, I think Dean Smith is under a bit of pressure. They they're gonna have to win the, the form that they're in. I think they've not won for four or five games. Yeah. They're, they're out of playoff places and, and the, the aim for them after the top two, I'm sure. So they won't be coming in thinking, let's sit in and, and play for a point. Um I don't think they've got the player to do that anyway, but I don't think Dean Smith is that way as a manager and I don't think the fans or the board would accept going anywhere and playing for a point. So I think they'll they'll come uh, they'll be coming for a win and uh, and hopefully that'll play into our hands again like it did with the, the Swans again. Yeah, I think so too. Uh prediction then please. Uh, uh let's say three one for you goals again. Lovely. My prediction this week is going to be 3 0. So that's your Bromers banker for this week. Uh, gamble responsibly, kids. Anybody who wants to have a cheeky little flush. Uh, I would prefer it if you put free bets on that, please, rather than your own money. Um, but if you do decide to, Bromers bankers this week is 3 0 to the Clarets. We're going to hand over to Dave Roberts for one final time. He's delved deep into those pockets as he his, and he's giving you his miscellaneous stat of the week. I'm often asked questions along the lines of, when was the last time we won or lost by a particular scoreline? So for this episode's Stat of the Week, I'm going to answer a few related questions following our comeback win at Sunderland. The London Clarets wanted to know, when was the last time Burnley scored four goals in one half of a football match? The answer to that question is last season's League Cup game against Rochdale at Turf Moor when a goalless first half was followed by four goals from Jay Rodriguez in the second 45, as Burnley won 4-1. The last time it happened away from Turf Moor was Burnley's 5-0 win in Milton Keynes in January 2016. We led 1-0 at the break, but were rampant as we found the net on four more occasions in the second 45, and went on to seal a 5-0 away victory. In addition, there are only two other occasions prior to this weekend that Burnley have trailed by two goals at half-time, but have gone on to win by a two-goal margin. Those were a 4-2 away win against Arsenal at Highbury in December 1959, and a 4-2 win over Spurs at Turf Moor in April 1961. Moving on to the second half of our podcast, listeners, we, of course, want to give you an FPL update. Um, it's getting all very tight and it's all getting very exciting in our non-never no, fantasy Premier League. Um, our resident FPL expert is, of course, Adam Dennett, and we're going to hand over to him for an update on Game Week 12. Hi, Adam here with your Game Week 12 FPL update, starting with your team of the week which would have scored 110 points and lined up in a 4-5-1 formation. Uh, Starting off with a couple of Liverpool players, uh, Alisson with a penalty save, clean sheet and three bonus points. Highest scorer of the game week, 15 points. Um, And Simicass as well from Liverpool in defence with an assist and clean sheet and nine points, both in Liverpool's 1-0 home victory against West Ham. Uh, Bowen missed a penalty in, uh, well, had his penalty saved by Alisson in that one. 
which was very disappointing for me, but uh, good for anyone who had Liverpool uh, defenders in the team. Uh, also in the back four, Daniel Amati from Leicester with a rare clean sheet and three bonus points uh, in their 2-0 victory at home to Leeds. Uh, Cesar Aspilicueta with also with a clean sheet and three bonus points uh, ho- away at Brentford in the 0-0 draw. And completing the back four, Perot of Southampton with an assist, clean sheet and three bonus points, picking up 11 points in the side's 1-0 win away at Bournemouth. Into the midfield, two Manchester United players, uh, Fernandes and Fred, both on the score sheet. Fernandes getting three bonus, Fred two bonus in the 2-0 home win against Spurs. Harrison Reid um, from Fulham, defensive midfielder, but has appeared in the Team of the Week a couple of times this season with a goal and two bonus points in their 3-0 route against Aston Villa, uh, meaning that Steven Gerrard lost his job. Uh, Miguel Almiron with a goal and two bonus points in Newcastle's 1-0 victory at home to Everton. And Eze from Crystal Palace, also with a goal and three bonus points in uh, Crystal Palace's 2-1 home victory against Wolves. And up front, it wasn't really a game week for strikers. Um, Shea Adams with just a goal and six points, meaning he edged into the team um, over Mitrovic because he cost less. Um, so, yeah, he scored the winner in Southampton's 1-0 win at Bournemouth. Uh, on to the no-name ever league. Um, just rundown of the top 10 after game week 12. Uh, my mate from Tomerden, Dan Main, in 10th place, 730 points. In 9th, Peter, Shuttlemuth, P- Peter Shuttleworth, I uh, should say, uh, with 733 points. 8th, Matt Steele, 735 points. 7th, Brad Banks, 736 points. Sixth, Jack Toner, 737 points. Fifth, Adam Kay, 740 points. Fourth, Gemma Avery, 743 points. In third place, Mark Mark Robinson with 751 points. And into the top two, in second place, Daniel Shepard on 758 points. And in first place, back to the top, Rupert Booth, with 760 points, only 30 points separating our top 10 players all to play for as we're going to game week 13, which has already kicked off at the time of recording. Obviously, the games come thick and fast in the championship, so sometimes we have overlaps with uh, FPL game week. Uh, surprise, surprise, Erling Ireland is the only highly on player to have fired at the time of recording on, uh, on Sunday morning with another two goals. Uh, meaning there's not much movement in the no-never league after Saturday's games. Uh, and I'll go through a full run-through of, of Game Week 13 in the Reading preview show uh, later on this week. And we'll also have an update on the no-never October Manager of the Month, which concludes after Game Week 14 next weekend. Um, and I'll also be going through the best way to plan before the World Cup break in Game Week 16. Last of all, wish you all green arrows for Game Week 13 and up the Clarets. And finally, let's leave you with this week's quiz, well, this midweek quiz question. It is as follows. Dave has asked you the following. Can you name the two Burnley players who have made at least 100 league appearances for both Burnley and Norwich City since 1945? Okay, that's slightly awkward. 
I am now officially banning all Nona Never team members from answering this question because we've got the graphics that give you the answer to this, which includes you, Tom Whitaker. And secondly, I'm now going to rescind my earlier comment about sharing these in socials because otherwise we're just going to need an answer. So um, listeners, if you do want to submit a quiz question, uh, answer, we can tweet us at Nona Never. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page or you can email us at previewshow at nonanever.net. That is all we have time for this week. The Nona Never podcast is brought to you in association with Fan Network on Talk Sport. The producer is Matt Moss. The host and editor is myself, Natalie Bromley. Our resident statistician is Dave Roberts and our FPL expert is Adam Dennett. My thanks to all of those who contributed to this week's episode. We also have our full analysis show team, which consists of my colleague, Tom, who's joined us on the podcast this evening. Thank you, Tom. Uh, Tom Whitaker, Rich Steele, George, I was going to call him George Clooney then. That's hilarious. George Poole. <laughs> George Rigby. <laughs> Robbie Kopak and Adam Dennett. And our music's provided by George Gaskell. And our newsletter team is head dug up by Jamie Smith. If you haven't yet subscribed to it, you can do so at substack.noneandever.net. We will be back um, after the weekend. Probably, we think we're probably going to mash the Norwich game and uh, who's after Norwich? Tom Reading, isn't it? Uh, yeah, we're probably going to mash together the Norwich and the Reading analysis shows together just because they're coming a bit thick and fast. Um, but we will bring you a preview show ahead of, of Reading, so keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, take care of yourselves and others. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the None and Ever podcast. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.